0: Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Joanna and Chip Gaines, the stars of the hit series Fixer Upper, are practically household names. How they turn their family business, Magnolia, into a home lifestyle empire is the stuff of legends. But building an empire doesn't happen overnight. And like all small business owners, they face challenge after challenge on their path to success. On today's episode, they talk about that entrepreneurial journey, plus they share how they're navigating their businesses today during these turbulent times. A quick word about Work.com before we get to our interview. Reopening our communities and businesses will take careful planning, but it can be as seamless as possible with Work.com. Work.com is an all-new suite of apps and resources that businesses and community leaders around the world can use to reopen, reskill employees, and respond efficiently to the COVID-19 pandemic. Reopening will be a journey, but Work.com is your guide. To learn more, go to Work.com. Now I'll hand it over to our host, Marie Rosenkrantz, Senior Vice President of SMB Marketing at Salesforce.
1: I am thrilled to introduce To all of you, the co-founders, business partners, life partners, Chip and Joanna Gaines, welcome to the Stories of Resilience. What? Honored to have you here. First and foremost... How are the two of you doing today?
2: We're doing good.
3: Well, it's the three of us. It's the three That's of us right. in fact. we
1: are an extra guest today.
3: We're having That's lots great. and lots of spring chickens here on the uh, the farm, or uh, maybe it's early summer now. At it this feels point. like
1: spring.
2: I think we're still. We're all still kind of stuck in spring.
3: But we have got some farm activities going on, and I wanted to include some of them to all show the show uh, you. It was folks. that or a goat, yeah.
2: y'all, and I said no goats inside. <laughs> I was
1: going to say, we are going to have a goat sighting? We're going to get right to it with some questions that I've prepared. But again, we really encourage everybody to post their questions to that Q&A box. So I just finished your book, The Magnolia Story, and I came away so touched by your entrepreneurial journey. You had some really tough early days. Um, You took some great risks to expand. In fact, I was getting some heart palpitations myself uh, (laughs) when I was reading about your journey. But you both have been so incredibly resilient through it all, um, through really difficult times. And I wanted to ask you, like, how did you persevere through that time?
2: I'll start.
3: You start. I know I, you've
2: got stuff. You're all I, about
3: I, I perseverance. I as a long-winded one. So she's got to get her two cents Let me in talk first. edgewise or else all we're right. going to be in big trouble.
2: Um, you know, one of the things that we, I remember when I think back, can y'all take that chicken outside? <laughs> this is what we love about live. <laughs> yes. It's going to be crew or the baby chicken. <laughs> crew will run in here at some point. I promise. But when I think back to those days, I remember, I mean, moments where Chip and I would look at each other and just think, we're in trouble. Are we going to make it? And how not seeing the end, like not understanding you could actually get through it. We would look at each other and say, do we just bail and get out of Dodge? And, you know, that seems so much easier than having to actually figure out how do we make it through this? And I, you know, Chip and his family have always had this thing that, you know, games never quit. And so he'd say, Joe, we're not going to quit. We're going to make it through this. And
3: the Stevens were kind of opposite. No, they were always don't like, say that. when in doubt, quit.
2: <laughs> no, the, it just seemed easier sometimes. If there's
3: only a 60-40 chance we can succeed, run,
2: run for the hills. <laughs> um So for me, it really was like, you know, I... Just I did the books, I did I saw the numbers and I could not see a way out. And I just remember thinking, okay, we would look at each other every day and say, we're not quitting. We're gonna do this. And something about that, that level of commitment, even when it felt hard, I think helped me just know we're not quitting isn't an option. So if that's not an option, we're gonna make it through this. And I think there one needs it needs
3: to be a plan B. It's sort <laughs> of like the uh the old uh, history lesson about the uh about the uh, sailor or the explorer that literally decided to burn their boat, so that they understood yeah, there was no, no plan no. B. They really learned that firsthand. I would say
1: sounds like the two of you also really, really encouraged each other as well through uh, through those times. That's very. I think we,
2: we leaned on each other's strengths in those moments of weakness where I would typically, you know, only see the glass half full and not see, and Chip would see the glass half full. Like just that kind of thinking really helps me go, okay, I can do this. Um, and, and one thing we've always told people is, even with that mentality shift, there's a lot of power in that. When you decide I'm not quitting, there isn't a plan B, we're gonna make it through that. Mm. That, that shift, it, it changes the momentum of things. It doesn't change it overnight. You know, For us, it was four or five more years of hard. So even though we were like, we're in it, it didn't mean that all of a sudden everything it was, was gonna be easy and now we're gonna make it. I think what sure. we really try to encourage people with is it could be a decade before you actually see the other side of this. But there's something about the momentum and that thinking of, you know, we're going to make it through this and who knows what it's going to look like on the other side. But the one thing I can say is when I look back, I'm so thankful, Mm -hmm. you know, we would have missed this moment. We would have missed a lot if we would have just pivoted and gone another direction because it was easier.
1: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is truly a story of resilience. So you two are stories of resilience. So thank you. So I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. Um, I know that you're familiar with Salesforce, your customers of Salesforce. In fact, Um, we at Salesforce really believe that business is a platform for change. And with everything happening in the world right now, I think you would agree this is more important than ever. And so we'd really love to hear from you. Why is it two questions? why is it important for companies to use their platforms to advocate for equality and justice? And then maybe you can tell us a little bit about how Magnolia is inspiring others to do that as well, be a platform for change.
3: Yeah. For us, as as really small business owners and as founders of what used to be a very small business and has evolved into really a medium-sized business, you know, I mean, I think some people looking out, looking in, would assume it's this mega conglomerate or an empire of sorts. It's a small family business, even though it has definitely grown exponentially over the last few years. Bottom line for Joe and I is that we're people, you know, on planet Earth. We're human beings. And I don't feel entitled to hide behind our company with our personal perspective or our personal views. And so when issues arise, I'll say it that way, and we've had plenty of them over the last you know, five to 10 years, I would say 10 years, we would just gotten into the quote unquote public eye, but at a very small level. And then in the last five years, it sort of expounded even early on as mass shootings would occur. Joe and I's hearts would leap Uh, for the people in those communities and what we could do to be involved. And and that was really, I would argue, our first taste of this. We're not going to stand idly by while tragedies occur in our Mm -hmm. ecosystem. You know, if we're aware of it, I believe God chose us to be aware of those issues, and then therefore, there's something we can do about those issues that that I'm implying. And so recently, obviously, we we were in the middle of the COVID crisis. And I would say that it was I just want to be a bit personal here and transparent. And hopefully all of this kind of works itself out. But I would say that as a family and as a as a couple, and then the way Joe and I relate to that experience is that as a couple, if we're feeling this level of rawness mm-hmm. due to this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, then we assume the whole world's feeling that same feeling. And so as that pandemic was sort of unfolding before our very eyes and our company was having to evolve towards it and to combat it and to be wise about it, Joe and I made a very tough decision to close our shop down uh, weeks, if not nearly a month before it was a mandate that we were required to do that. And I don't say that because I'm trying to pat myself on the back. We're just saying that as a community, we realized that there were some things that were out of our control and to be a part of the problem as opposed to part of the solution was just not an option for us. So then fast forward just a few weeks from that rawness that we felt due to the COVID uh, experience, boy, we had a real racial uprising in our country. And obviously, it was due to uh, incredibly unfortunate circumstance that happened in Minneapolis. We're tied to Minneapolis because Joe has a really strong relationship with Target and Target's headquartered out of Minneapolis. So we just got on the phone and started calling people, what's going on? What can we do to help? And as that started unfolding, we realized Joe and I felt like there was a very tangible binder or blinding that that was removed from joe and i's eyes and i would say when that blinding binder had had removed itself and we had talked to those people on the ground and there in minneapolis we just realized we we have to do better and i guess the the very bottom line is that I had this almost epiphany. I remember I'm 45 now, so I was in my 20s. I, re- I forget the exact date, but you know, a few decades ago, I was on the couch in some place in Texas, and I was watching the LA riots unfold after the uh, incident that, that occurred there. And my heartfelt explosion, for lack of a better term, was that my family was not going to sit idly by and do nothing. And then me find my children as grown adults 30 years from now, 25 years from now, whatever the exact date from A to B was, then they're grown, dealing with the same ramifications of this injustice and this uh, systemic racism uh, that has been a part of our ecosystem for for obviously a a very, very long time. And Joe and I basically made a decision. We are going to start implementing things at Magnolia and the things that we can control, our families. My wife and I, Joe and I talked about it like endlessly, endless hours of conversation about what do we do? What are we unaware of? What have we been blind to? What can we do in our family first and then our local community? And then that community affects our state and that state affects the country and that country affects the world. You know, that's the only way Joe and I know how to do it, because if you look at it, from the epidemic, the crisis, the overwhelming nature that it it represents, it makes even powerful people pull back. Because what can I do about it? Well, I don't know what Joe and I can do about racism. I don't know what we can do about gun violence. I don't know what we can do about things that we've seen in our life. But I know that Joe and I can start with us. And I know we can impact our family and I know our family can impact our community. So I just want to encourage everybody that's listening. The argument I've got is when somebody needs a cup of water, you don't have to solve the water crisis. You don't have to go and create a, a system that, you know, turns ocean water into fresh water. You know, that that's a big, tall objective. But can I take a cup of water to this person that I know is in need of a cup of water? And in that one moment, you've changed the world. And Joe and I have made a a very clear pact with our family and our community and our business, and then all that that represents that we're not going to be guilty of standing idly by as, as all of these things have, have occurred under our noses.
1: So first and foremost, if you couldn't tell, I have the deepest admiration for the two of you. Mm. My admiration is even deeper now um, based on Thank you know you. everything that you've done. We had a speaker here at Salesforce on a leading through change, Melody Hobson, who said, It starts in our house and it's very, very clear that you really feel the same way. We really do need to start in our house. So thank you so much for sharing your perspectives on that. One last question before I head over to the overwhelming number of questions we're all (laughs) getting. I'm telling you, it's going crazy over here. So we're happy to call um, Magnolia a trailblazer. You're a Salesforce Marketing Cloud customer, a Social Studio customer for Mar- Magnolia Market specifically. You know, one of the things that I've noticed about you, you've really kept the cu- you've kept the customer at the center of everything that you do. You can tell that, and um, in the products that you have, your engagement with the folks that you, um, even the small businesses that you work with. Um, Help us understand how technology has helped you to do that and how technology has played a role in your growth. Yeah.
2: You know, earlier on when all this was starting, I would say our main energy, our resources, just our creative thought, all of it went into the experience that people were going to get here physically in Waco, Texas at the silos. That was where we just kind of exhausted our energy to make sure that what they saw here, what they smelled, what they heard, the everything, we were so intentional about. And then at some point we realized, oh my goodness, there's this whole other universe. <laughs> what do you call it? The worldwide-
3: I know, the the, the intranet, episode, we didn't know, we didn't know. We her. are
2: horrible at that kind of stuff. <laughs> but beyond the physical silos, there's this whole other world that the sky is the limit. And then we started thinking, you know, for people who- haven't come to the silos or who can't, or, um, you know, haven't made the trek yet. What are we going to do for them that is equally as intentional? Mm -hmm. Obviously it's going to be different because it's different in person versus this, but how can we change our focus to make sure that people that are experiencing this on this other platform, feel that intention, feel just that we value their time. So if they come over to us, if they read an email or a text or, you know, something on social, that they feel heard. And so one thing that we, you know, especially with the COVID thing, we realize is that, you know, now more than ever, that's how people are interacting. And I would say, you know, what we've loved about Salesforce, the idea that all of our kind of marketing tools are now in this one bucket. You, we used to have it all. I mean, it wasn't, it was really piecemealed where now we just feel this, this, kind of energy, this this powerful force that we've got now that we can tap into that. And now we know that we can customize things. I think that's been huge for us. For one, one example is the texting, like for us, locals, Hmm. when they think of Magnolia, they know tourists are coming to town, longer lines. They want to experience it, but they don't want to experience (laughs) it like a tourist. They want to come in and just walk down the street and come to the shop. So even just being able to customize how we talk to the locals via text has been huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Using email, all these things that feel really personal, we're in people's inboxes, we're in their phones now. We wanna make sure they feel heard, mm-hmm. known, seen, not just marketed to in this blanket, hey, come see us, but that it feels customized and like we're really talking to them. And that's what's important to us. We, we're not marketers in the sense that we want it to just be a thing, we want the sales. It's not that we really want to engage Mm -hmm. um, and interact with our customers in a really authentic way. And I think that's what we're super grateful for with technology, obviously with Salesforce is that it's allowed that so that we're really talking to the customer and hopefully they're feeling heard and valued in that experience.
1: Absolutely love that. So I am letting you know that we have literally been overwhelmed. So We have thousands of entrepreneurs and small businesses from pretty basically everywhere, including Japan, believe it or not. Uh, Yes. And so before I head over to the questions, I just want to remind you, if you have not already posted a question and you really want to see if Chip and Joanna can provide you with the practical and actionable advice that you want and need, please go ahead and submit your question to the QA box. So I am going to, um, this question is for either of you. It's from Hans and Brenna Julianis. As entrepreneurs starting your business, did you have a defined vision for where you wanted to take the company or just a general and pivot as you go type of outlook?
3: Yeah, let me jump into this. So the gains is, we've talked about how the gains is and uh, that's me. (laughs) <laughs> and the Stevens, that's Joe's maiden name family, were could not have been polar opposite entities on planet Earth. And how this all happened is uh, proof for us that God exists and, and there are <laughs> miracles and things of this nature. But our personal opinions aside, my family came from a rule of thought that you started things as the ideas entered your brain. So they hadn't even been fully flushed out. They hadn't been fully vetted. And you had already started that idea. And let's say it was a business or a lemonade stand, or in my case, a firework stand, a laundry service, a lawn business, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. So they invented accidentally habitual and very chronic entrepreneurs in my sister and I. And so we would start businesses. And then once they failed, we would evaluate the failed business. And then we would know what to do better The next time that we had one of these bright ideas. My wife, on the other hand, would write down pages and pages of information. Stevens
2: believed in a business plan. And moving (laughs) forward slowly and some may say wisely. Oh Uh, boring. That's the difference. I will say though, you know, with Magnolia, when I think about, so there's two sizes, because Chip was doing construction when we first got married. And so that was his thing, he was renovating homes. I had this dream to start a boutique for whatever reason. I never did design, I'd never done retail. I worked at my dad's tire shop for 10 years. So I- That's retail. Well, I knew how to sell a set of tires. I didn't know how (laughs) to sell candles and fake florals. So I think for me, the business plan I had was I added up all my expenses. There was no payroll. Couldn't afford but that.
3: Tell her about the three different folders. That's what I was getting at with well, my, you had folders and folders. So of, as
2: I worked for my dad, I had these like side dreams, like on my lunch break. Don't tell him. It was actually just in the afternoons when I was <laughs> bored. And I would dream up these other businesses. And there were three businesses that I knew one day I wanted to start. One was a spa. One was a bakery. And one was just a random retail boutique. I don't know. And I kind of just literally did eeny, meeny, miny, moe. And the retail boutique is what I picked. And so the first year we got married, you know, I told Chip, I want to do this. We bought this tiny little building. We renovated it. I started learning about buying and selling goods. And when I did the math, I had to do $248 a day to stay open. And that's about as far as we got. I never had like dreams and visions of being, you know, a big retailer, Mm -hmm. having a network, having a show, nothing. It was if Chip, if we can make $248 a day, we can stay open. And so to answer the question, the way we have rolled is we've (laughs) rolled more on the game side and that. Sometimes
3: you've got
2: this instinct and this intuition. I think that's where we make a good balance. Chip has these amazing instincts and intuition. Then I come in and kind of do the fine tuning and do the details. And that's, I think why we're a great team, but we didn't have a big vision for Magnolia. We just thought Chip was more, Joe, I want you to follow your dreams. Mm -hmm. And if it's, we only do $248 a day, then great. I'm excited that you love what you're doing and you're finding value in your work. So answer the question we didn't have big dreams we didn't have a big vision it's just this is how we stay open and from there every day something new evolved and it was about staying nimble it was about pivoting when you needed to it was really understanding gut instinct versus just going on a whim and having to really trust that and the more you hone in on that the stronger I think you become because you know you got to rely on your instincts as a business person
3: It's like this idea that I think people think of entrepreneurs and sometimes small businessmen and women that they get kind of uh, lumped into this thought of like of like riverboat gamblers or something like that. And I would encourage to your question, the reality that Joe and I found very quickly is there's a huge difference between literally rolling the dice you know mm-hmm. between making a just an illogical or an unadvised gamble uh, towards something and hoping you win the quote unquote lottery as opposed to strategically and logically and and, and very thoughtfully adjusting as things present themselves mm-hmm. to you and i would say people get lost on both sides of those extremes do you see the people like joe and her family and i'm i'm just being uh, facetious here but but that sometimes get paralyzed mm-hmm. in the thought process. You know, it's like I have to know all the answers before I act and make a decision because that's wise or that's prudent. And then you've got the gains who need no information and we're going to roll the dice and we're always adjusting after the fact. Once we realize that our plan was flawed to begin with, you know? And there needs to be some place in the middle. And I wanna encourage people that are entrepreneurs and small businesses. The objective is to become an expert at whatever your craft is and then figure out how to scale that expertise. And I think when people master that, A little bit of gut and a little bit of intuition and a little bit of business plan and you mix those things into the pie. I think that's where the Elon Musk of the universe come from. I think that's where the Bill Gates of the universe come from. It's not always in these calculated, precise things. I'll say one more thing and then I I promise I'll shut up. But I've been infatuated in the last couple of years with business leaders, Mm -hmm. how much information do you need to have and obtain and fully be able to trust before you make a decision to act? And I've honestly gone on a personal soul-searching mission to answer that question. And I've talked to dozens of some of the highest powered CEOs and, and top E executives on the planet, sorry, C executives on the planet. And my conclusion is it was very surprising. I think Joe would think if I asked you that, how much information, like if you had a percentage from 0% of the information to 100%, so you knew for a fact yeah. that something was going to happen or not, how much of the information do you need to have before you make a decision to act towards that final objective from 0 to
2: to 100 <laughs> 51%. Well, what do oh. you
3: think? Like what, because that's not your bit. Right. That's my bit. What do you think you should know? If you pulled out of the Me farm,
2: personally, how much exactly. information about
3: where you're going to end up? Do you oh. need to know before you take the right? 110%.
2: Ride oh my gosh.
3: All right. So 110%. That's, I was hoping she was going to say well, 85 or 90. I was, I was 90. trying to speak
2: for most people like, yay, that'll push them. Maybe they'll I,
3: I will tell you, you will be. Very surprised to find out that the answer to that question is between in this very unscientific experiment that I've uh, uh, done for myself. But they gave me a lot of uh, piece about it somewhere between 40 and 60 percent of the information when COVID hit. I'll say it this way you didn't know any information. You didn't know if it was just the quote unquote flu. You didn't know if it was some other thing, you know, nobody knew all the details. So you were having to piece together little pieces of information to then determine what's our best next course of action. And when you hear big time executives that are making billion dollar decisions, knowing 40 to 60% of the information, if I were a young entrepreneur, that would give me a lot of confidence. Like, oh, I thought I was an idiot. I thought I was ridiculous if I made a decision with only 40 or 60% of the information. But I want to say to the contrary, if you're starting a lawn business or or a very small, like literally local business, I'd say, sure, push north of 40 to 60% of the information, get to 80, get to 90, get all the facts, get the business plan airtight. But if you're trying to be Elon Musk, if you think that he knows more than 60%, Of the information before he pushes go on one of those rockets to try to figure out how do we create an engine that can take us to mars you're crazy that's not the way it works he starts off with a fraction of that and then he builds to 40 to 60 percent and then it evolves to 90 or 100 but that's after years and years of of the process
2: Okay, Marie, basically <laughs> after that, right, you have about two questions.
3: Oh left. my gosh, I won't be this long winded every yeah, time I sometimes probably.
1: Sometimes the gut is a powerful instrument. I'm just going to put that up there. Okay, okay uh, so Suzanne um, from Michigan, from Green Parrot Superstore. What process do you go through when deciding whether or not to partner with a certain company or person in business? And she wants to do a shout out to you, Chip. My husband is really enjoying the book, Capital Game. Oh, wow. Sweet. Thank you. You've had some incredible partnerships. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she's asking you, you know, what's the process Mm -hmm. you went through to decide when it was right or not?
3: I try to be consistent. Let me jump in here and then I'll be brief, I promise. I try to be uh, consistent so that there's reoccurring thoughts and ideas that people can then take away from an hour together because obviously you're not going to be able to retain 80% of this. So the 20% part that I want people to remember is back to my point about that Joe and I are people we have heartbeats. We have, we have real emotions. We have real desires and goals and hopes for our family and our future, et cetera. And we don't hide behind our business because of that reality. We want to highlight those emotions through our business. And I would say the same holds true with business to business partnerships. If I don't feel connected to the people on the other side of that brand or that business that we're trying to create a partnership with, for us, These things are heartbeat, real, live, human interactions. And so if my business and their business fit like a glove, but me and Joe and the people behind their curtain don't, Unfortunately, those deals don't happen for us. And when they do feel great, and then the two brands feel great, then you start realizing we've got something we can build off of here and we can work together and build something that's really beautiful. Did you have a thought? No, I
2: just, you know, authenticity is such a buzzword these days. But I really, for us, it is this idea. It's not a
3: buzzword when it's true.
2: Okay. Well, it is this idea (laughs) of, you know, if I, A, do I love, do I see this happening? And we've had lots of opportunities where they were great opportunities, but for us to endorse or partner with felt like a stretch. To us, it's just, we've we've always kind of known, I mean, I'll give you Target as an example. I said from the beginning, I was like, that would be a dream because Target's my favorite store. Like right now during COVID, that's the shop I want to go to. I, I, I miss going out and shopping at Target. So some of these partnerships and these relationships, I just feel like, like Chip said, because it is, A personal thing. This isn't a brand to us. When we think of Magnolia, we don't think of a brand. We think it's a business with a heartbeat. It's it's an actual thing. And so for us, it's saying no to a lot of the things short term, but thinking long term for the authenticity of the brand, for the voice of the brand to be kind of more grounded and sure. It's kind of saying no a lot more than saying yes. And when you say yes, it's because it truly feels like this is a natural partnership. I'm not having to say, well, it's good because of this dollar amount, but shoot, this Mm -hmm. is going to be a little, it's like pulling teeth. That's just, we've always had to say no to those, even in times where we're like, we could actually take (laughs) that check right now. We've had to say no. And I think in time, hopefully what will be, you know, resonating with a lot of people is this authentic thing, you know? And so that's something that
1: I think is a big indicator for us. That's wonderful. The values alignment you speak to right there is just so powerful. You're absolutely right. So Sharon Khalil, and I apologize to all of you if I'm not saying your first and last names correctly, but I'm trying. I promise. Sharon Khalil from Valor Compounding Pharmacy in Berkeley, California, just across the bridge from here, right uh, right now. I love that you have diversified your business portfolio. Did those opportunities present themselves to you? or did you seek them out? What advice do you have for small businesses to create new revenue sources?
3: Yeah, i can say that's a bottom line great question for me. I'm a natural born hustler. I mean, that's all I know to do is hustle and work and then work again and then work smarter and then fail and figure it out. I mean, that's just sort of in my DNA. So it's hard for me to communicate to somebody like Joe, honestly, who who's on the opposite end of that spectrum. But I will say... There's no supplement. There's no, you know, I joke about this with people in platforms in that I wished I could say there was a magic pill and then I could give you that said magic pill and all of your issues would be resolved. But the magic pill is hard work. The magic pill is determination. And the magic pill for me is is I use the term hustle or to be wily or to be scrappy. You know, we've got these phrases in our company that everybody refers to because when I walk by a piece of trash at our company headquarters, I can't walk past it. I have to go address it. So I pick up the piece of trash and I throw it away. And then when you have those sort of fundamental realities that when things are, when you're aware of things, you address them. There's a, let me say this real quick because I thought this was fascinating. There's a sort of a, a saying in the army that if you see something that is below standard and don't do anything about it, you have now set a new lower standard. And when you process that thought, if I see something as a Magnolia employee that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is substandard and I don't do anything to address it, I've now set a new substandard reality. And I just, uh, I think to answer that question as simply as I can, opportunities are endless. There's infinite opportunities. So when I use the term hustle, it's not to sell anything to anybody. It's I'm constantly hustling to find the right opportunities at the right moment for us for right now. And so I would encourage you to look very broadly at lots and lots of opportunities, but I would hustle as you work through those opportunities to narrow down your selection so so that then she and that pharmacy can say, I think this is a great opportunity for me to increase my revenue stream. If I were to bring this product into the mix or partner with this outside firm. And I think it's,
2: it's the idea of evolving. And I think a lot of businesses get stuck because they, they're not open to the evolution of it. They're like, well, this is what I started as, and this is what I'm going right. to, but it's being open, like Chip said, and looking around and and seeing what's the full story I'm trying to say, is it wellness? Is it, you know, within the pharmacy, like I'm trying to think what's bigger, what's the bigger story? And then every avenue you look at, does that tell that story more? So with us- With retail, it started off, I was selling candles and then we do home decor and design. And then, well, lifestyle is home. It's eating. It's, you know, the coffee, all these moments. And so as we started looking outside as Chip was hustling, because I was like, we've got enough. (laughs) I'm tired. But as he was hustling, the way we say yes to it is, does it feel, does it help tell that story even more? Mm -hmm. Does that seem like that can really articulate what we're trying to say? how do we evolve into that? And then a lot of the times it's saying no, because it's like that actually tells a different story and how do we wrangle that in? So I think it's being willing to evolve and tell a really strong story
1: and continue to take risks. I love that. Thank you so much. And I know Sharon appreciates it as well. So Joe, this is for you. Sarah Shepard asks, can you talk about how you are able to have your hand in so many projects? Magnolia, Magnolia Journal, cookbooks, the Magnolia Network and balance each project so well. And you're also, you know, a dynamic duo, but you're also great parents as well. So maybe let us in on some secret sauce because we could all use some.
2: You know, for me, I have when you talk about all those entities, it's really one team and it's about a team of eight that I. You know, as I move from whether it's a meeting or an idea, the way we've looked at Magnolia and the way we've tried to streamline it now, even with the network is we wanna tell the same message and the same story. So it starts with the magazine and then it goes into product curation. It goes into what we wanna tell on the network. So it's this nice line. And I think when you have that consistency through the brand, it makes Mm -hmm. things easier because you're having those same conversations just with different forms. So it could be network here, it could be magazine, So it's really simplifying how we work. You know, Chip has always said, work smarter, not harder. And I used to work really hard, but not smart. And it was just like, I was so busy. I was... Not spending enough time with the kids, I was spending too. You know, which just everything was off balance. And well, it, well, it wasn't that you
3: weren't spending enough time with the kids, but you just was, felt like you were failing the I business was, when you were with the then, family, and then, and then you felt like you were failing the family was, when you were with yeah, the business. Yeah, it was just
2: the idea I couldn't win. Yeah. And then something shifted, and I really feel like it was like, no, if if this this business isn't gonna run me. I've got to run this business. Mm. And so for me, it was making really key shifts. It was taking off half the week to be home, meaning I have to kill it when I'm at the office on Monday and Fridays, Monday and Wednesday, whatever it is. But in that, knowing that I had space for home to create and to cook and do Mm. all the things that really bring me life, Mm. then when I would leave home, I'd go to work feeling full and energized. It was really trying to figure out because I feel really grateful for this opportunity to be, you know, self-employed, but you also have to carve out these intentional moments so that you're not just filling up and then your tank is dry really quick. So I would say in the last year or two, because I want my cake and I want to eat it too, I've had to figure out ways to really kind of carve out things be super intentional, work really hard, but I'm also home now more than ever, which is really kind of crazy. I'm busier. I have more on my plate, but for whatever reason, I've like dictated what I'm doing and not what the business is going to do for me. And when you kind of get that kind of, I think, passion and mindset, then you start really saying yes to what you need to say yes to and let others do what I used to control and micromanage. Now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to let the team do it because they're going to crush it. I don't know if that answers the question. I just think you gotta own it and not let it run you because it was running me for a while and I was I was extremely tired and feeling like I wasn't winning. And I
3: will say on Joe's behalf, because it's harder for her to say something of this nature, but it's like, she's built like a cyborg. Her and her father are just built to work and they'll show up to the work and they'll do it until they keel over. I'm more of know. a
2: robot than a human. I yeah, know it's
3: but, surprising. But, but what I wanna encourage her about <laughs> and what I wanna to say to, to everybody that's listening here, it's the idea that Joe needs some of her time. You know, It's like things that inspire her and refresh her. And I would say as drivers, as type A personalities, drivers that we both are, sometimes when you take downtime, you actually feel like you're failing or you feel like you're a loser or you feel like you're lazy, even though you're anything but lazy. But in that moment, you've got these insecurities that pop into your brain. Like you should be working. This isn't done. Don't forget about this. Your kids, you know, need you for this reason or that reason. And I just want to encourage everybody that it's like when you have a full fresh tank of gas, you're infinitely more efficient than when you burn completely out of gas and you're operating even though you're still there and you're still doing the best you can. So, you know, I wanna encourage you that what Joe has learned over the last couple of years is that she can actually do more with less if she'll give herself, her body, her mind, her her spirit, you know, all the things that make us human. If you'll give those things what it needs, she has much more to give at the house, Mm -hmm. with the family, at the business, And I think that's a piece of the equation. Everybody thinks work 100 hours a week and work harder. I saw a mug the other day that said, nobody cares work harder and it's like i agree to that with that to some extent but then there's also the part that's like nobody cares go take a nap you know nobody cares go watch a movie go go paint go play some golf whatever it is that's going to fill your tank because i can assure you when you get back to the house and back to the office with a full tank of gas you're going to be infinitely more confident and more capable than you were running on fumes
2: and i think just being self-aware of I didn't know what that felt like. I just felt like hard work is hard work, whether you're tired or you've got energy. And now I'm I'm so in tune with my mind and kind of my emotional state that I know, oh, I'm running low. Yeah. I got to pull back. I got to get in the garden. I got to get with the kids. So it's just it's understanding kind of your DNA and how you're wired and making sure that you're really feeding, like Chip said, your soul so that you don't feel depleted.
1: Yeah. You know, our last speaker was Brené Brown, and she said new muscles require mm-hmm. rest to develop mm-hmm. So it's- wow. I love that. that to talk about. Um, so thank you for reminding all of us about that really important message. So believe it or not, we're running out of time. Yes. So I know, right? We're having so much fun. But, so I have like this rapid fire part of the show that I like to ask you a few questions so that people, I feel like people already feel like they know you personally, but maybe another way in which to get to know you on a more personal level. So we have three questions for you and maybe you can determine who wants to answer it. What is one thing you've let go of this year?
2: Ooh, that's so good, control. Oh shit. And that's been hard. My whole life, I've controlled, and I feel like back to Chip's point, this is rapid fire. <laughs> we're just as long. <laughs> I've turned into Chip. Yeah, we're just as I'll long. I'll just say control, way. but for someone like me, hey, that was a good, quick answer. But for someone like me, that's like giving up your like identity. Like I, you know, and so that's been. But it's been the most freeing thing, and I'm like, ah, it's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be better because I'm not controlling
1: it. But that's yeah. that's been a hard thing to let go of. Love that. Okay, we're going to move on to the next one. Oh, Just a, Name one small business you've supported. Maybe um, it's this month, but today's July 1st. So we're going to say maybe over the course of this pandemic, a small business you've supported. Small but Well, I mean, I can say <laughs> we got locally, local, yeah. Lot of, lot, lot, lots of local
3: small businesses.
2: Name some local small businesses. Yeah, well, oh, of course. so the other day we put our mask on and we knew no one was in the store. So <laughs> we went. But, you know, there's this beautiful store called Gather. And that's the last thing we're all doing right now is gathering. So yeah. I assumed, hey, let's go in there. And just I wanted a little home refresh. Uh, there's a store called January Letter Press, a small business here in town that's got stationery. And again, just wanting to feel inspired, but also want them to know we support them. And then Fabled Bookstore. I know that's hard because these are all local, but oh, there's something about local businesses that we love so much. When I think of, of Magnolia and When she she started, she was was a
3: part of this small business ecosystem. And we just love every customer
2: that walked in. I felt loved and supported. So if there's any way we can do that, even during a pandemic with masks and gloves on, we're up for that. Yes. And I've got a local
3: barbecue joint called Vtex that me and the kids go to uh, as often as we can. And I love that. And I want to give a quick shout out to uh, a company that anybody could get to. That's a national group, but it's a very small business. And it's called, of all things, just bats.com and my boys both play select baseball so if anybody's into sports or specifically select athletics and they'd go range from gymnastics all the way to soccer and anything in between well my boys are baseball players so you can go online and have these bats delivered to your door and I know they would love the fact that uh that they got a little shout out today and they've they've been great to us
1: Well, I hope all of those small businesses have e-commerce sites because I'm sure there are people trying to find them right now. One last question. Um, Who inspires you?
3: You mentioned Brene Brown. Joe and I have both been incredibly inspired by her over the last few years as she came online with uh, just talking about, I would just argue, just in the general sense of just mental wellness. It's something that's so.
2: Courage and bravery.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
3: And it's just, it's one of those things that, again, you've always been taught that that's a sign of weakness. But in fact, it's a sign that needs attention. You know, it's just like part of this entire uh, thing that is the human experience. We just, we love and adore her. Is there,
0: and that's I, funny I always, you mentioned I,
2: I always, this is super personal, but you know, my mom is you know, just fire. She's a four foot 11 Korean (laughs) woman who moved from Korea, Seoul, Korea to to as a teenager at 19 years old, didn't know English, married my dad. My dad was actually stationed there. She would Um, get on
3: this bike and try to ride this bike back to Korea. (laughs) She wanted
2: to go home. when
3: Things were tough early, early on. Um,
2: But I think (laughs) when I think about just her upbringing and how hard life was for her and Mm. now I get why she wanted to get away. She was trying to escape something you know, just for her own, whatever, just, just the grit. And I think the strength that that woman who is the tiniest woman you'll meet, (laughs) there's something about that, that is just so her story is so strong. It's so brave for me that I have, you know, Big shoes to fill, even though she has size four and a half shoes. I think it's just she inspires me because I'm like, if mom can do it, you know, I mean, she really she's one of those examples of making it out alive Mm -hmm. and, you know, being an amazing example. My mother is definitely one of my heroes, for sure.
1: I love that so much as a mom. I love that. Um, And as someone who has an amazing mother, so appreciative of your comments. So in the final pages of your book, you wrote and in the end, what it's all about is thankfulness and contentment. Mm. We are so thankful for the two of you, the contentment, the inspiration that you've shared with all of us who joined today and the support that you've been able to give the small business community. I'm so looking forward to, and I'm sure so many people joining today, counting the days until you launch the Magnolia Network. So thank you so much, you two, for being here. To all of you who are listening in today, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We hope you enjoyed listening and learning from this incredible duo. We hope you'll continue to support one another because it is all about supporting one another right now and continuing the conversation on Twitter with hashtag stories of resilience. And if you have feedback and we listen to that feedback, We've posted a link in the Q&A feed, as well as in the chat window. We would love to hear from you. And lastly, I'm happy to announce that we already have our next Stories of Resilience scheduled. It's on July 29th. We're gonna be featuring Angela Duckworth, best-selling author of Grit and CEO of Character Labs. And she's gonna be joined with Kobe Fuller, co-founder of Valence and partner at Upfront Ventures for another engaging conversation Register right now by clicking the link right there on the screen. Until then, stay happy, stay healthy, stay well, and thank you again for joining us today on Stories of Resilience.
0: That was Joanna and Chip Gaines talking about why now is the time to personalize customer relationships, the importance of balancing gut instinct with thoughtful planning, and how to run your business and not let it run you. For insights into this topic and others, head over to salesforce.com for resources to help guide you through today's changing economic and social environments. I'm Michael Rebo from Salesforce Studios. Thanks for joining today.